in three, two, one. Hello and welcome to the Investment Property Income Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Jeff Eady, and joining me today is my good friend, uh, terrible pun maker and one of the best brokers I've ever met, Mr. Jonathan Tilger. Jonathan, how are you today, sir? I'm good. Yourself, Jeff, though I'm a little uh, little uh, terrible pun maker. <laughs> you are the king of the dad jokes, sir. <laughs> <laughs> And rightfully so. Uh, <laughs> um, so today I would like to talk about, and this is an interesting one to me because there is, it, it's, a, it's a wide topic and there's a lot of things that we can probably drill down into specifics on. Uh, and that is commercial mixed use and multifamily residential financing. I think they're all kind of three different areas and maybe we'll have to do separate podcasts to drill down into each at some point. But I would like to talk about, uh, you know, the one I see kind of classic right now with everybody moving out into the country and all of that stuff is investors buying the mixed use. You know, maybe it's got a, a store down down below and a couple of apartments above. Do you want to talk about? Well, I guess let's talk about a little bit about the differences in commercial and residential financing, and then we can kind of get down into the subcategories there. Yeah, so let's... Uh... So, so yeah, I mean, what, what you said is completely the case where, yeah, your, your residential is basically what's, what's viewed, I'll just say what's viewed as can be done under a residential umbrella, meaning the residential rates, all that stuff is anything that is four units or less. Once you go over four units or there is a commercial component, as you just mentioned, then we're going to start getting into the commercial financing space. Okay. Um, sorry. Can we back up one second? When you say four units or less... <clears throat> Is this, does this apply um, to the overall scheme, I guess, of owning four doors, whether they're uh, in one building or whether they're four properties that are, say, single family res? Um, it, it, well, what I'm, what, I'm, what I'm talking about specifically is, uh, is once, let's, let's not talk about number of properties owned because that's a whole other conversation. Let's just talk about the property itself. So if, you, so if you've got a... Uh, don't tell me what I can talk about. <laughs> a, 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 a single family house, a duplex, triplex, or fourplex. That type of property on its own, forget about anything else a person owns, that property on its own, if someone were just walk and say, I'd like to buy this property, whether they're living there or it's just a straight out investment, that type of property up to four units can be done as a residential property by a number of lenders. Once okay. you get beyond four, you get five, six, seven, eight, 200, 300 units within one building. Mm -hmm. At that point there, then it's going to be done under a mixed or not a mixed use, but just, just a multifamily. It's got to go to a multifamily lender, which is, it falls under the commercial lending guidelines. Mm -hmm. Now saying that it's under commercial lending guidelines, but there are still things like CMHC will still insure some of those properties hmm. because it is still residential it is for residential people to live in. And so even that's like 200 units, even if it's 200 units. So that CMHC's no mandate is, is to help provide housing. So those ones can, those ones, the, the rates on those are often, especially if you can get it CMHC insured are usually closer to the residential rates that you're seeing out there. Uh, but it does have to go through a commercial underwriting process. So, I know with uh, uh, an insured residential loan for personal use, you can do a 5% down payment. Do you know off the top of your head what the down payment would be for an insured loan on a multifamily 
Resident if, if insured, you can actually do with 15% down. No kidding. Now, what we've got to look at... like a drum roll there. The bum, bum, bum. <laughs> That's like well, a revelation I, to me. <laughs> I, I, th I think he just did it. So perfect. <laughs> uh, but but the, the, the loan to value, when you're talking loan to value, be it multi-residential, be it commercial, becomes a little bit different because it's not necessarily on the purchase price. Mm -hmm. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be based on the value, based on the criteria of how the lender evaluates the value. So they could do an income-based valuation. Exactly, which is often what they're doing. They're, they're saying, well, we're going we're gonna to base the value on the property based on the cash flow that this property can generate, not so much what someone's willing to pay for it. Gross or net? Um. I, well, it would probably be. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> I love it when I ask you a question. You're like, I, I, I don't know. <laughs> I will just, I'll just say that they'll look, they'll look at both, but, but it will be based on the income the property can generate, and not so much. Okay, doesn't matter if some, if someone's willing to pay ten million dollars for it, if based on the metrics saying, hey, here's the income is generating. Here's the multiple we can use. It's only $8 million, so we can only lend based on $8 million value. Mm. Okay, so that can be restrictive. It, it can be. So it's one of the things, one of the things fine to say, well, you can do it 15% down. Yes, but 15% down of what value? So <clears throat> I think this could be a whole separate conversation, but I'm going to ask about it now because I understand this, and that would be, this is where you would want to bring in some sort of capital stack. So if you've got the 15% down, you'd still have to produce in that case, another 5%. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll, ju I'll no, just, that would be, sorry. Uh, my math is wrong. Um, you'd need 15% down on the 8 million, but you still yes. need the other 200, uh, or the other 2 million. That's correct. To actually purchase the property. If, if, if that's scenario and those are the numbers we're looking at, yes. I mean, one of, one of the first things, so, let, let, so let's just talk commercial lending in general because commercial lending is a different beast. And I've spoken with, I've, I've had a few conversations with residential realtors who suddenly they got a client of theirs who wants to buy commercial. And well, we want to close this in three weeks going, it's a different process. It takes longer. Three weeks is general. Call it the underwriting process for the lender on a commercial. So you're, so the likelihood of closing it in three weeks is low. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, but, they so take it's, more it's, like a six month process, are they not? Um, it's not. It's not that long. It could be based on the project and what they've got to look at. If it's something much larger, uh, but it's usually. I usually like to say you probably want at minimum six to eight weeks from offer acceptance to actually be able to close it at a minimum. That's if everything lines up and goes through smoothly. If there's any snags, then that, that closing date can be pushed. So just, just in general, when you get into commercial, it's a different beast. It's a different animal. I mean, they're going to look at, they want to, one of the first things they're going to want to see is who's actually buying this. What's their experience with real estate in general? What's their net worth picture look like? So it's not just looking at, hey, here's the property, uh, here's the income, and that's it. They, they want to see the full picture. Um, someone, I mean, as a, for instance, they, they probably wouldn't even consider a, uh, most lenders would not consider a multi-residential purchaser who's never owned a, rent, a single rental property. Hmm. Just because they look and they say, well, this person doesn't know what they don't know right now. 
What about on the private side? The private side, again, if, if you've got money to put down, if there's equity in the property and they like the property, private side, there's someone who will probably consider it. And I would imagine their metrics are going to be, again, totally different because it's just different things they care about, which is always how long is it going to take me to sell the property in a worst case scenario and how much can I get out of it? Exactly. Um, so they're not going to look at the metrics of the building. They're going to look more at probably a different appraisal. Exactly. Okay. And, and so, uh, so along these lines, if you get into other, we talked about, well, 15% for a, a multifamily, if you get into other commercial, generally speaking, it's probably 25 to 35% down as a minimum requirement. Which other type of commercial? This is this is any type any other type of commercial. So now. we were we were specifically talking about multifamily res up to four, uh, above above four units. Above four, okay. Mr. Bian, what about if it's mixed use? Does that change things again? Let's uh, go back to the store below and the apartments above example. Now with mixed use, you've got there is I'll just say there's 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 a gray area where occasionally. Again, if it's if it's less than four units, including the, the storefront, and based on square footage, uh, it, the 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 storefront is less than probably 20-25% of the entire building. There are scenarios where it could be considered by some residential lenders. But generally speaking, once you get into mixed use, especially since most mixed use is storefront on the bottom, apartment upstairs. So the storefront is half the building. In most of those scenarios, the uh, it really, it would fall under then just call it just straight commercial lending criteria at that point there. Uh, and mi mixed use, especially your smaller mixed use, there is a finite number of lenders who, who like that space. Yeah, so that can be challenging, I would imagine. Yeah, I've, I've got lenders who can do it. Uh, just know that the rates will probably be a little bit higher because you're dealing with commercial. And this is just across the board with commercial. Um, you're going to have fees to get it set up. Now let's get crazy and talk about maybe an office building. Okay. Or better yet, let's talk about an office share building and financing that. So there's no residential component at all. And what I believe, you know, personally, I believe that uh, right now is a terrible time to be in the office building uh, um, game, but uh, perhaps office share, uh, especially if it were smaller, um, in the near future is going to be more of a, a viable market. My personal predictions, obviously I'll, I'll put the disclaimer in there, but I think that might be a good place for people to be looking. Let's say somebody wanted to have a strictly commercial uh, office building, or it doesn't matter if there's retail office components when it comes to, to, to figuring out the financing on that. No, it really, it They're really, it, yeah, it's the same. Okay. So, so that then we're really got to look at what, what is, uh, what is it they're buying? Is it, I mean, by an office building, let's, let's just talk, is it a plaza? Are they buying the entire plaza? Are they buying one unit in the plaza? If it's an office building, are they buying, are, again, no different than like a condo where you're buying a unit. Are they buying a unit? Are they buying a floor? Are they buying the entire building? So all these things can be broken down mm -hmm. uh, based on what there is. I mean, years ago with with uh, the mortgage brokerage I previously owned, owned a, uh, owned a, a unit in a, a commercial complex. So it was just primarily offices. Uh, it was an all ground floor. So it was ground floor entrance. Everyone had a ground floor entrance, but it was one unit within a, a, a complex. And so it was actually viewed as a condo commercial building. Well, so I imagine there were maintenance fees with that then. Exactly. There were maintenance fees for snow removal, for roof, all that stuff. 
So let's say it's uh to make it simple, let's say it's five units and they're all different types of commercial. Okay. How how would somebody look at uh, valuing that? How would a bank value that? So it's five units, all different types of commercial. So you're probably dealing with something that is like a strip plaza. Yeah, sure. Uh, I, so, so there, so, I mean, in that case there, they're, they're viewing it, they would, they would just evaluate it based on what's the cash flow, uh, that this could, could, uh, could potentially bring in now, especially when you're dealing with, if you're purchasing it at the landlord, one of the things they're looking at the cash flow, are there any, any staple tenants? Mm-hmm. Meaning that is it all like Joe's variety, or do you have like Royal a seven, yeah, yeah a, a Royal <laughs> Bank, or just yeah. a, a brand name, like a, even like a Seven Eleven as a variety store versus Joe's variety would have a little more weight to it. Mm-hmm. And so, so that's one of the things that that can help the valuation and the uh, just rates that you're going to get, all that stuff based on who are the tenants that are there, how much time's left in their lease, what's really the security uh, to that. That would oh, help. So they'll, out. they'll look at the term of the lease as well. Exactly. Well, if okay. if all all the leases are ex- are expiring in a year, there's no security for the person buying this property. Mm-hmm. But if okay, I'm buying it, and yeah, there's there's five units. Uh, four of them have leases that are ten years from today. the 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 fifth one's running out, but the four are strong tenants. Then again, the lenders will be okay. We can give you better pricing, probably maybe a little bit higher loan to value. So all these things come into the into the conversation when you're looking commercial. So I guess really the answer would be, it depends. Yeah, it really does. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Jonathan, I had to throw that back at you. <laughs> you definitely did. <laughs> all right, so let's talk about a weird one that I've come across surprisingly. A large amount of times financing a gas station. Okay. How does that work? Uh, So gas stations, there are a finite number of lenders who will look at those and consider them. Uh, The big thing, the big thing when you're dealing with gas stations and just, so I'll just talk about what they, what they call a, an environmental assessment. Mm Mm-hmm. And especially with a gas station, because gas station obviously has oil, gas, everything else. And it really comes down to, has there been situations where there's been runoff, there's been spillage that's damaged the soil and conditions soil. around. And so that's where, because if there is that, then there needs to be remediation. Mm-hmm. So the big thing is just looking at, looking at, I mean, Every commercial yeah, property the, is just a fancy word for clean up for anybody. Yes. Listening. Yes. <laughs> so, so the, 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 so every commercial property that they're, they're going to look at the first question or they, they, they will need an environmental assessment. So they for will start with for all commercial okay. uh, mi- mixed or just multifamily, potentially not if, if there's been nothing there, but anything else that is commercial, they're going to want the environmental assessment. What's and the environment cost. And, and they, well, it's going to start, it's going to start with a phase one. Okay. And so the phase one is essentially just looking through the history of the building. And it's really the phase one is just asking the question saying, is there something, is there a past tenant that could have been a potential environmental issue? <laughs> so a gas station automatically. Yes. Yeah. Uh, if, I mean, if they go back and they say, well, it used to be uh, it used to be a paint manufacturing. Yes. So, so they're going to look through the history. It used to be a dry cleaner. Again, yes. <laughs> and so that, then you move into a phase two. So, I mean, a phase one will cost a few thousand dollars. Uh, phase two 
could be in the tens of thousands based on how in depth they need it based on what was there in the past. Do they have to go out and take soil samples? Do they have to get the soil samples tested? So definitely much higher closing costs with commercial property. Yeah, and along those lines, also a commercial appraisal will be a few thousand dollars. Yeah. And again, depending on how in depth, how large the property is, it could be more. So that's, you know what, I think that's a good spot for us to talk about the capital stack and possible ways of financing. Let's say that multifamily residential that we talked about earlier, where let's say it's purchase price is 10 million. You're approved for 8 million. You've come up with your, let's say 20% down just for closing costs and everything else, but you still need that 2 million. What are some of the different ways we can do capital stacks? Now, I don't know why I'm asking because I know how we can do them, but let's have a conversation around vendor take back mortgages, uh, second mortgages, anybody that would be willing to subordinate to the first mortgage, which would be your major uh, lender, which is the insured part. And can you insure with a second or third position mortgage on there? Uh, generally speaking, so that, that all those conditions are usually are usually stipulated by the first mortgage holder. Because there are there are situations like if you're dealing with the CN, if like let's talk about the the multifamily residential where they're saying hey we'll allow you to buy this twenty percent down we will insure it they will probably stipulate that there cannot be any secondary financing so you got to have the full two million bucks. Um, but what plus you're talking twenty percent. Well, plus the twenty percent if that's if that's what is required, yes. Uh, so as far as you're you're talking about vendor take back and other things, so v- vendor take back. Do you want to explain that one or should I? Go oh, go ahead. You're the mortgage guy. So so <laughs> v- 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 vendor take back is essentially a situation where you've made an arrangement with the current owner of the property. They want to sell the property. Uh, I mean, they're getting, let's just talk about that $10 million. So they're getting $10 million for that property. They'll have some things they got to pay out. Uh, but you really say, listen, I've, I've got part of the money that I need. Let's talk about the situation. Well, the appraisal came in lower, so they're not going to honor the 10 million price. They're only going to honor 8 million. I've got the 20% based on that 8 million. I don't have, I don't have the full, so I need an additional $2 million. As you're the seller, will you take basically set up a mortgage Based on uh, based on that two million dollars, so it would be a second position mortgage where there's terms set out with, hey, it's going to be paid. Here's here's the rate. It will be an interest only payment. I mean, you can negotiate with them on those terms, uh, but are they willing to offer that? Yeah, and you know we know from experience there's a ton of different options that you can negotiate with a uh, a vendor take back mortgage, and maybe that's a a whole other podcast. Uh, I I believe that is. I'm going to write that down right now, um, but. Um, Really, it comes down to what that first lender is going to allow you to do. And I think that would really be where working with an experienced commercial broker like yourself is kind of everything because you have to be able to talk to everybody. you got to really quarterback that deal. If you've got uh, a, a, a buyer who's got part of the down payment, and you've got that first position mortgage holder that's willing to do so much and you need to figure out how to fill up that other spot. And if it's even possible, you're really the one who has to, to quarterback all of that and be the one that's in contact with everyone. 
We'll need to be aware of it. Uh, generally speaking, if someone is arranging a, a vendor take back and you've got a seller who's willing to do that, I mean, it's something that if they're stuck and there's no other option, we might, might throw it out as a suggestion once they're in the, the negotiating stages. Uh, but oftentimes, most of, the, uh, most of the buyers I've worked with who have arranged that, they're usually savvy enough that, that they started that conversation as part of what they negotiated in as they, as they negotiated in the purchasing terms for this property. Okay. So let's say it's not a vendor take back. Let's say it's a, a second mortgage that needs to go in behind that. Then you would do that as well? Exactly. So yes. I'm not hundred percent wrong on this? You're not hundred percent <laughs> wrong. Exactly. <laughs> Thank you for leaving me with just a little bit of my dignity on this one. Uh, <laughs> so is there anything that we haven't covered here that we uh, should, should, should talk about or anything you want to get a little bit more in depth with before we wrap it up? Um, it's really, I mean, it, Going back to your whole statement of, well, I guess my statement that I say that you are now saying as well, which is depends. And when you're, when you're, de when you're dealing with commercial, commercial, there are so many variables going into commercial real estate. Uh, and so every property is unique. Every property is different based on location, based on what it can be used for, all those things. And so every single commercial property has to be approached as a unique property it's not it's not like residential in most cases where it's one size fits most it's really with commercial it's it's uh each one's unique so got to make sure that that we understand that and we approach it accordingly yeah uh and you know what that i'm not done yet uh i just want to ask about that that the difference of owning multiple properties has so is there a difference between a commercial uh investor and a commercial property when it comes to those regulations, because I know that having multiple properties, I think it's, what is it? Five, four plus your personal residence, you become a commercial investor at that point and it, the banks won't touch you. Uh, so when you're dealing with just residential, uh, there are some banks, some banks are mo the majority of banks say five properties. Once you get beyond, beyond that, we don't want to look at it. Um, there are a few who will, well, you can have five somewhere else and you have up to five with us. So you, you could push it as high as 10. Uh, but, okay. but, but beyond that, yeah, it really starts becoming a, they start viewing it as you're a commercial investor, even though what you're holding is residential properties, you're a commercial investor. And it just comes down to the amount of due diligence that is required by the lender to really assess the risk that, that adding another property under their umbrella is going to cause for them. And then truly, you know, once you've got a good lender within that range, you really want to have a good relationship with them because they may be able to support you to a higher level. That's correct. Yeah, fantastic. Well, Jonathan, as always, I appreciate your time, insight, and um, wealth of knowledge, as well as I appreciate you for listening. It's, uh, this has been a, sorry, my, my brain, there's like a million different little synapses firing off that, uh, that this conversation has, has inspired and I'm writing down notes for a whole bunch of other podcasts as we, we wrap this up. So that's great. Thanks so much for that, Jonathan. If you want to get hold of Jonathan or be a guest on this podcast and talk about uh, either your commercial, residential, financing needs, or anything around that area, please feel free to shoot us an email at ipincome at amortgageplan.com. Uh, or you can go to investmentpropertyincomebook.com, download your free book. Of course, this podcast will be coming out to our email, so you don't need to know how to find that podcast just yet, but we are going to be live on Spotify and Google Play and a few other platforms sometime in the very near future. Thank you, Jonathan. As always, I appreciate you. Have a fantastic day, and thank you for listening. Thanks a lot, Jeff.